The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Words can lose their impact, right, when they're overworked and overused. Awesome. That word. Amazing. Honestly. Literally. Those words can use, lose their impact when they're overworked and overused. But two words more recently have become overworked and overused. And we have lost the ability to even see them when you step foot in most businesses or restaurants. And what are those two words that have become overworked and overused when you walk into a place of business? Now hiring. Now hiring. Post-pandemic, we are in a labor shortage, right? And there's many theories as to why this phenomenon is going on. Some believe it's because stimulus money is keeping the bills paid, and so people have no motivation to go back to work. Some believe that unemployment benefits are better than minimum wage, and so why work? Some believe there's physical and emotional fatigue after a long year of pandemic or maybe don't feel safe going back to work. Some millennials are holding out for that dream job. But at the heart of this labor shortage is a problem of the soul. And it's a problem of our understanding of work. When you hear the word work, you might even feel in your gut a little bit of a weighty sinking. Pastor, don't talk about work today. It's Sunday. It's a day of rest. I don't want to think about work till tonight around 8 p.m. as I begin to gear myself up for the daily grind. Monday morning, as I force my way out of bed to get to work. Wednesday afternoon, as I watch the clock until the minute hand reaches five. And Friday, when I sigh a desperate prayer, thank God it's today. Or we feel like we don't have enough time in our day or week to get done what needs to get done. And so we work not till five, but late into the night. And we work every day of the week, including today, the Lord's day. What's happening here? What's the problem of the soul going on with work? It's a problem which has been around since almost the beginning of time. And here's what it is. It's the problem of self-employment. Self-employment is the problem. Where we are not only the employees in our work, but we are also the self-appointed bosses in our work. And today in Psalm 127... A psalm of ascent for the people of God who are on their journey home. That's us. On their journey to the house of God in the city of God. We are given a beautiful reminder of the gift of work. Good work. Hopeful work. Job well done. 
We are given a Monday through Saturday motivation to be part of a never-ending finished work of God, which we celebrate on Sunday. A reading from Psalm 127. A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. God, we thank you for your word. So how does Psalm 127 speak to this problem of the soul, the problem of self-employment? Well, it calls each one of us to do this, to demote ourselves, to fire ourselves, and instead invites us to this. Psalm 127 invites us to work for the one who calls you to join in his never-ending finished work. Work for the one who calls you to join in his never-ending finished work. The psalm this morning is divided easily in two parts. You probably see it. Verses 1 and 2 and verses 3 to 5. So too will be our time this morning together. One question to answer that we have for each part as we work for the one who calls us to join in his never-ending finished work. When you are discovering or asking yourself the question of, you know what, should I take this job or not take this job? What do you typically do? You do a cost-benefit analysis, right? You usually weigh the pros and the cons of a job, right? So we're going to do that this morning. With verses 1 and 2, we're going to ask the question, what are the costs of working for ourselves? And verses 3 to 5, we're going to ask, what are the benefits of working for the Lord? 1 and 2, what are the costs of working for ourselves? 3 to 5, what are the benefits of working for the Lord? And the first question the psalmist asks us to ask is, what are the costs of working for ourselves? When you see it in these verses. The cost is that this work is meaningless, anxious, and restless if we're doing it for ourselves. The psalm is attributed to Solomon. And if you know who Solomon is, he's, he's David's, King David's son. And he is a man who's now been charged with taking over the presidency of God's people from the first king who set the bar pretty high. And he's the president of God's people in the city of God, Jerusalem. He's responsible for the protection of this massive people and this monumental city. <clears throat> 
It's a daunting enough task. But there's another plate to his presidency. He's also the project manager of a building campaign. The temple of God. And you have to wonder if these words, Psalm 127, these words of wisdom which Solomon writes were not written when he was up late going over the building specs of the temple. Or when he was first on the temple scene in the morning, on the job site, seeing how progress was going. Or when he was hearing word in his morning debriefing that at the city gate there's this guy, Hadad the Edomite, who's plotting a massive takeover of his kingdom. You wonder if that is what's prompting him to write these words. So let's read these first two verses with this context, Solomon's context in mind. Unless the Lord builds the house. Do you hear the condition here? Unless the Lord is the foreman. Unless the Lord is the one who is the architect, unless the Lord is the one guiding all of the decisions to this building, what happens? If he's not, those who build it labor in vain. That expression in vain means it's worthless. What you're building is going to fall down. It's worthless. It's nothing. Unless the Lord is building it. He goes on to say, unless the Lord watches over this city, king. (laughs) Unless the Lord is in charge of ruling over this city, king. The watchman is going to stay awake on guard for no purpose. It's worthless to even keep guard. The message reads, the guards might as well take a nap. There's no point to having them there. Unless the Lord is guarding the city. Do you see in these verses the meaninglessness of working for yourself? What you're building, what are you building in your work when you think about the work that you do? What are you building? Are you building your own reputation? Are you building your new home? Is that why you work? Are you building up your retirement savings? Is that why you work? Are you building up for your trip around the world? Is that why you work? Are you building up for your dream car or your dream boat? Is that why you work? Well, Solomon says to us, it will have no lasting value if that's why you're working. It will be worthless. Why? Because all of that stuff is temporary. It's all going to fade away. But the Lord is eternal. He's forever. This is the wisdom of God given to Solomon. Probably when he's tossing and turning in the middle of the night. When Solomon is starting to think that this temple is about him and his reputation. The Lord says to him, it's not about you, Solomon. This is the Lord's building that we're working on. This is the temple where the Lord is the center of the Holy of Holies. Not you, Solomon. Not you, Chad, planting pastor of All Saints Church. This is the Lord's work. 
And what you're trying to do apart from the Lord to also not only build something, but to give you security? If it's on you, that security is not going to last. It's only going to lead you to be anxious and restless. How many of you have had sleepless nights because of something you believed was in your hands and not his the psalm says, even your playing scenarios over and over and over in your head in the middle of the night will not accomplish anything that's lasting. It will only make you miserable and really, really tired the next day. And so he says, it is in vain. It's pointless that you get up early or you go late to rest eating the bread of anxious toil worrying, I got it. What do I got to do? What do I got to do? What do I got to do? For he gives to his beloved rest. The psalm is not arguing for you sleeping in all the time or living a life that's like, oh, God will take care of everything. I don't have to do anything. I can just sit back and collect unemployment. No, that's not at all what this psalm is saying. Because the Lord in other parts of Scripture values hard work and making the most of the time that you're given. What this psalm is arguing for is the way in which you work and do your work. Doing your work with you not as the boss. With you not as the foreman or the security guard or the king. But instead him as the one who's in charge of your work. When we shift into this mentality that every work that we have been given from birth to death has him leading it, we can sleep so much better at night. Solomon writes, he gives to his beloved sleep. And there's a little signature that he puts in there to himself because Solomon's name literally means beloved. He gives to Solomon sleep. He gives to his beloved sleep. And it's as if Solomon is letting us in that there were many anxious nights for him of worrying about the outcome of this or that when the Lord says, shh, beloved, I've got this. Beloved, I've got this. Go to sleep. I've got it. I've been what I'll call brainwashed. <laughs> several mornings. I'll explain what I mean. I have anxiety that 2.33 a.m. is usually when I'll wake up to a sleepless night. 2.33, I can see it on the clock. And out of nowhere, I'm up. And I'm thinking through yesterday's conversation or I'm thinking through tomorrow's meeting. And like a CEO of my brain, I'm playing out all these scenarios in my head. What is it? What if this? What about that? What do we do about this? And on more than one occasion, the Lord allows me to be so frustrated for what seems to be either like an hour or two of tossing and turning and pacing and praying. And then something happens. At the end of that frustration, I give up being the boss. I give up being the Lord. And the Lord says to me, beloved, I've got this. Go to sleep. 
And I open my hands and I say, not my will, yours be done. So much better. And this weird thing happens. I don't know if it's physiological. I don't know what it is. But I'll fall asleep and this brainwashing thing happens. I'll wake up the next morning and feel as if my brain has had a gentle hose like washing through all the channels of my brain. And his mercies are new that morning. Some questions I want to ask us this morning about the cost of working for yourself. And it's this main question. Who have you made boss in your head other than the Lord? Who's the boss in your head? other than the Lord. Is it you? And the way you'd know this is this. Is everyone in your world getting a performance evaluation by you? Are they judged, everyone in the world, by your standards? They might not work as hard as you. They're lazy or less competent than you. If only they could be more like you in what they do. Think about that. If only they could be more like you. Do you really want the world to be more like you? If there were all clones of you in the world, can you imagine how much more broken this world would be? Step down as boss and allow the Spirit of God to do a performance evaluation on someone, but not the rest of the world. Allow the Spirit of God to do a performance evaluation on you. And guess what's going to happen? You're going to start repenting. Who else could be boss in your own head? Is it other people? Is there someone you have promoted to king of your work life? Where you're always trying to win the favor or attention or add a boy, add a girl from some specific person? Maybe it's a mom or a dad that was never pleased with you. Maybe it's a tyrant of a husband or a wife who's never happy. Maybe it's someone, a bad boss, who's made it a point to try to make you feel lesser. So you spend your waking hours consumed with what they think of you. Say to that person in your head, you're fired. You're fired. Fire them immediately. And hear the words of your father say, well done to you. Because he says that of Jesus. Fire that person in your head and hear the father say, well done to you. Because you're hidden in Jesus. And because you're hidden in Jesus, you don't even have to lift a finger to hear that word, well done. Last question about whose boss in your head is this. Could it be the ruler of this world is the boss in your head? And the way you're going to know he's trying to be boss in your head is probably through this. How do you think of your paycheck? Do you believe that what you receive before taxes is yours? Do you crave more money so that you can have more and do more for you? Or do you receive the direct deposit and paycheck with gratitude in prayer saying, use this and use me as you choose. Where you give 
the Lord the first fruits of your work through tithing, where you gratefully and wisely spend your paycheck on people and purposes which last, not on temporary things which just fall apart. This doesn't mean we don't ever buy things, okay? It means that when we do buy things, they have eternal purpose attached to them. Bliss and I felt so guilty about buying a new refrigerator at Costco because ours wasn't broken. There was no reason why we needed a new refrigerator. Ours was, ours was fine. But the reason we got a new refrigerator was so that when we host people, we can fit everything in that refrigerator. It's buying a dishwasher, not so it's just convenient and you deserve that convenience. No, it's buying a dishwasher so that you can spend more time sitting at the table with people rather than washing dishes. It's buying a home on the bay, which gives you and other people a sanctuary to come and behold the hand of God who made the sea and all that is in it. That's why you buy a home on the bay. You buy a fuel-efficient car, not so that you can save money to buy something else. You buy a fuel-efficient car so the generations after you might have fuel to use. The ruler of this world wants your paycheck to be about you. So that you can buy the noteworthy new next thing. And he wants you, by the way, to have it now. The king of kings wants not only your paycheck, but every lifting of your finger in exerted effort in work to be about something far beyond yourself, to be about his work. This leads us to the second question. What are the benefits of working for the Lord? What's this? It's joy in being part of the family business. If we had someone come into All Saints this morning and introduce themselves as John Bergstrom or Jane Bezos, what would you immediately think about John or Jane? They're probably very wealthy. A family name constitutes value. And this is why the psalm makes this interesting transition to describing children Some people think Psalm 127 is two separate psalms just kind of welded together, one about work and one about family. I, I don't think that. Because the first two verses are about building and security, and the Lord answers building and security in verses 3 to 5. Because any building, any security that Solomon or anyone else is seeking in the first two verses is found in the final three verses. Because God's building of a house is not about a physical address of a place. God's building of a house is about building a household. And security, according to the Lord, is not about fortresses or guards or armies or palaces. It's about the father as he's building a household, now protecting and watching over his flock, his children, his family. The Lord is much more a family man than he is a CEO. I want to say that again because I think we all need to hear this. The Lord God is much more a family man than he is a CEO. Americans, 
This has taken for me years of discipleship with my brother Jesus, my older brother Jesus, who's shown me a loving father, not a CEO. And it takes years for us to believe that. You are more a father than you are a CEO. The call of God to be a child of his has the ability to reverse the curse we feel with work. Because work under the curse is about painful toil, thorns, weeds, deadlines, underpayment, underappreciation, bad bosses. But work within the family of God as a child of God over our lifetime can become a joy. How? Because we are called as children to be part of the finished work of God. His rescue of us. And we are called to be a part of the joyful work of God, which is his glory that never ends. The psalmist says, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. And it's interesting, Solomon is using paycheck language to say what God is building here. He's paying you with a people. I remember a pillow my baby sister had in her crib that had Carl Sandburg's quote on it, stitched on it. And it said, a baby is God's opinion that the world should go on. Children are an indication of future hope. Just as we all delight in having a new baby in our family, God is in the business of adding more children to his family. Children are a window to the future, to a never-ending giant family tree, as verse 3 says, a heritage of the Lord filled with fruit of the womb. But not only are children a picture of future hope, children offer us protection. As we get older, our kids begin to take care of us, older parents. And the more children we have, the better we are protected. Jewish families know the financial and physical security that comes with having children care for them. We don't see that in our culture. Parents are often in the United States offloaded to nursing facilities, to assisted living places, or Florida to be forgotten by their kids because American children are consumed with building their kingdoms of their little selves. But this psalm, along with the fifth commandment, reminds us that children play a huge role in protecting and securing an aging parent. And it's a beautiful thing to have kids care for their aging parents. To see their father or their mother above themselves. It's the gospel of Jesus in play. It's what his ministry was all about. Caring about his father more than he cared about himself. Doing his father's work more than his own work. On earth as it is in heaven, Father. Parents, are your children a lot of work? (laughs) Are you always joyful in being part of the family business? Do your kids sometimes wear you out physically and emotionally? Yes. Do some of you carry the weight of wayward adult children who want to have nothing to do with God? Yes. Hear this psalm as a reminder to you that as hard and as much work as your children are to raise, they are a window into the Lord's love for you. The work he was and is and will continue to do for you. 
Children are a blessing to God's people because ultimately all these children, generation upon generation of the Jewish people, brought about the building of a household, a heavenly household. All these children brought about the security of God's people. All these children brought about the inheritance of the Lord. How? Through one son, through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the one who would go before the enemies at the gate, like verse 5 says. And we would not be put to shame because he's there. He would go to the courtroom and defend his family who's gone before him and protect his family who's going to come after him. We, as God's family, will not be put to shame because Jesus was put to shame. He was sent out of the gates of the city to bear the curse and the painful toil of our sin of self-employment. And he finished the work of the Father by dying for us. And he came back from there into the gates of the city, resurrected, saying, here are the keys to your family home that I've purchased for you. This is our heritage. This is our son. This is our child. The fruit of Eve's womb, the fruit of Mary's womb, a warrior who would shoot an arrow directly at the ruler of this world and say, hands off of them, they belong to my father. This is the house which God is building. This is the household of faith, biological, spiritual children who put their rest, their trust, their work into the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. How does this bring joy and security to your specific work, knowing you're part of the family business? Parents, spiritual and biological parents, it gives you a greater purpose to your work, doesn't it? Your work is not about making a name for yourself. It's about carrying on a legacy of faith, a legacy of Jesus. Remember, your painstaking work as a parent is not just to keep your kids from killing each other. That's what it feels like sometimes. Your work is to lead them to rest in the finished work of Jesus. When you sign them up for basketball, remember, your goal is not to raise the next LeBron. (laughs) Your goal is to encourage them to play the game of basketball as if Christ has already won it. When you're changing the thankless diaper or you're watching for the prodigal to come home again, remember the messes that your kids create are not on you to clean up. They are on the Lord Jesus to make right and to make new again. And just remember this stunning reality, parents. The Lord loves your kids infinitely more than you love your kids. Don't live vicariously seeking their love. Live securely in God's love because as much as you love your kids, which is huge, the Lord loves you far more than that. Children, you are evidence of God's hope for the world. You are called to do the hard work of respecting mom and dad as they care for you. And children, your disrespect of mom and dad is a sign of self-employment. 
Your respect to them is an indicator that the Lord is your father. Honor your mother and your father by caring for them, even as they age, even as, okay, boomer, they lose touch with their culture, and even as they dress more and more embarrassingly. Honor them. And lastly, family workers, all of us here, saints, the type of work you do is so much less important than how you do your work. The way in which you do your work speaks to which family you belong. Are you complaining? Are you gossiping with coworkers about the hours, the task, the boss, how awful this job is? Or are you doing your work as a reflection of the family to whom you belong? That when others see you work in your job, they see Christ working in you. Teachers looking like their teacher. Builders and building inspectors looking like their master carpenter. Lawyers looking like their defender. Parents looking like their father and their mother. Children looking like his son. Solomon kept, it's really interesting, the rest of his life kept little of his own advice. His life ended with very little to show for it. A physical temple in a city that would eventually be ransacked. Solomon's life was built on the pleasure of foreign wives and foreign gods. Solomon's lineage was a rebellious and weak son to take over his reign. We could just throw out Psalm 127 if Solomon were our guide. But Jesus is our better Solomon. His life was working his father's will of building a household. His life was working for the one who calls us to join in the same work. A never-ending, finished work of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray for your help with this work that you've given us to do. Help us to rest in the finishedness of it. That it's done. That we don't have to labor of our own efforts and our own striving and our own anxious toil. That we can rest in the well done work that's been done for us in Jesus. And Father, help us then as parents, as children, as workers, as ministers. To live our lives in response to what you have worked for us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.